Howdy folks, welcome to our podcast, American Cowboy in New Zealand. This is Ben Longwell with True West Horsemanship. We're glad you're here. Join us as we share stories and adventures and interview extraordinary men and women in the equine and ranching industries to gain insight into horsemanship and life itself. It is our mission to help people and their horses better understand one another and achieve together that which they cannot do individually. Thanks for riding along with us. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. This is the second half of my conversation with Jeff Sanders. So if you haven't listened to the first half, make sure you go back to the previous episode and catch that. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the rest of my conversation with Jeff Sanders. So you got to get into doing some of that study, both in the, the history, and I know you've told me in the past, you know, even going back to the libraries and the museums and yeah. studying the, the yeah. old designs of the bits. And I mean, yeah. I think that you and I could probably talk about just that probably for the next hour or two pretty easily. And we may have to do that at some point, like just do a podcast on, on that whole subject, because I, you know, I, I just finished a whole book on that whole subject. As a matter of fact, that's yep. right. That, the, that's exactly, I, exactly. I meet with the printer next week. In fact. Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> that is exciting. That is exciting. Yeah. yeah. So um, in a synopsis, like, Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if we can even yeah, get it, you know, yeah. but, but you, okay. So, so how long now have you been um, going to Europe? And then now you, of course, you're based in Europe. Um, yeah. How long has that been? And, and what does that sort of look like just in the last season of life? I, I've been traveling to Europe for over a decade. So, um, and like I said, it's been amazing. I've, I've, I've gotten to, I've had the opportunity to live in Spain, um, which not only helped me with understanding more where the horsemanship came from and really gave me the opportunity to do a lot of study. And like we we're, were talking about, about where that California horsemanship came from, but also a uh, better understanding of where my own culture came from. Yeah. So my own culture with the California horsemanship um, is very, very special. In, very strongly influenced by the Spanish. Um, and there are a lot of different cultures within the horsemanship in America. So you've got the Texas horsemanship, uh, you've got the Buckaroo horsemanship, you've got the California Vaquero horsemanship, and all three of those are very different. You've also got the Charo horsemanship from, from Mexico, which is again a different thing. Um, California specifically was much more influenced by the Spanish yeah. than in terms of horsemanship than Texas or Mexico. Um, and again, we could again we could spend a lot of time delving into the details of the history, but um, I really understood it a lot more getting to live in Spain. Um, and, and going back, we were able to trace the horsemanship of some of the people who went to California and then go back to Spain find the riding schools that they actually trained in and learning what horsemanship like de la guerriere that they were actually studying at the time so we knew exactly what this guy learned right. and what he brought with him to california so that's been really cool um and then specific maneuvers um there aren't a lot of people in america who know how to canter a horse backwards but there's old stories that i grew up with of like there's one of them of an old vaquero riding into the into the into the town 
in the beginning of automobiles, you know, it was like a little putt putt thing with a motor in a wagon, you know, kind of that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And it talks about this vaquero cantering in, account, in town and he approaches this car, this automobile coming out of town and he slows his canter and then he canters with the car automobile, then he canters backwards, then he canters backwards faster than the automobile is going forward. <laughs> Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but I grew up with the story from the time, as long as I can remember. Never found anybody in the U.S. who could teach me how to canter backwards. Here in Europe, yes. And that was one of the first things I did. I hunted somebody down who could do it. I made a pest of myself. Um, he wanted some, 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 some stuff, some information on the hackamore. So we, we traded and, and I got to learn to do that. In the meantime, he was also a very... Um, uh, a very well uh, second. Um, he, <laughs> he was also a very well, um, a, a very well-educated Baroque trainer. So we got to talk a lot about the bits, um, about a lot of that stuff. And I got to see kind of more of the, more of the development of where our bridles came from. So yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, I grew up with a lot of focus on studying the horse's mouth and that kind of stuff, um, which has been lost. Sorry, I, it's, yeah. Um, so it's, it's one of those things, I'm actually, sorry about uh, technical difficulties. I'm using my wife's phone for data connection to run this, so it's her phone going off. I got um, <laughs> So, when we're looking at like the mouth, we're looking at the bits, all of that kind of stuff, um, even just the concept. So when we look at historically, the horsemanship cultures that reach the highest level of athletic achievement, all of them have one thing in common, and that is that they first worked off of the nose in one way or another, whether it was like in California with the Bozelle, with the Hackamore, um, you know, with the Hackamore, they're going down in size of the Bozelle, whether it was with the working Cavasson or in Germany, what they call a Capson, which is has the rings on the nose, uh, the Sarreta in Spain, um, Pluvenel working off the nose with, the, with what he developed. Um, those cultures all had that in common. Um, and then they went from that to some kind of curb bit. Now, there, I've got a book. Um, I, in fact, I was just going through it uh, two days ago. That is a bit making book from Germany from the 1500s. And there are thousands of combinations of mouthpieces and cheek pieces. And because at the time you had people who would travel around like farriers, except they would fit bits. They would study the mouth, they would watch you ride and the bits, the mouthpiece could be changed. So they would try one and then, get, but it would be fitted to the mouth. And we've lost a, a lot of that. Um, the confirmation of the individual horse's mouth is very unique. Um, and just putting a bit in a horse's mouth with somebody else's horse works good and it is not a good plan. That's like jerking the shoes off of one horse and trying to nail them on the other. Yeah, um, yeah you might, you might, might work sometimes. <laughs> Most of the time it's not getting. Um, but what I realized is going back to the old horsemanship that I grew up with, a lot of that old European horsemanship at the high levels um, had the same philosophy. And that is that the bit whatever you put on the horse's head is a communication tool. That's it, it's for communication. And if it's not providing good communication, it's not the right tool. 
and also if it's creating distraction. So if we've got any bridle in that horse's mouth, no matter what kind it is, if that horse is gapping their mouth open, doing any of that kind of stuff, if you've got to tie their mouth shut, any of that, then we've got a problem. We don't have good communication. Um, and also seeing that some of those cultures also have the same idea of working on pressure and release, working on signal-based training, as opposed to pain compliance training, which are two totally separate um, training philosophies. So it was, really, it was really good for me to see all of that and get deeper into that. Um, and again, it went back to answering a lot of the questions that I had in my mind of why. Um, I understood a lot more being able to have the opportunity to make, make that in-depth study and to see where my own traditions came from. Because there was a lot of stuff that we did, like we were talking at the beginning of this, that was just normal stuff that you didn't even think about. Then I started studying the old stuff and I understood why, okay, now I understand why we do it the way we do. Um, some of it was different because again, the culture is a little different in California, um, in the old California horsemanship. So it was interesting, like some of the maneuvers, some of the way that we ride, um, you know, in the old Baroque horsemanship, everything has its own name. And, you know, in some of the California stuff, you just did it. There was no name for it. Um, yeah. So it was like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing that rolling there or hind quarter out was a thing. That was just, you're following a cow. You bring the tail over, you keep the horse looking at the cow and you move into that cow. And that was just what you did. Yeah. So that was also kind of cool that learning, oh, that is a movement from war riding. Um, half pass is an attacking movement in war. Leg yield shoulder in is a defensive movement in war. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, Piaf isn't Piaf was never supposed to be judged. It yeah. was, it, I mean, you know, it was all of this stuff. That I'm like, oh, that's where this came from. Cool. Yeah. Um, so for me, that was pretty, pretty cool opportunity. So I was, it's been a real blessing for me to be able to travel around and, and see this stuff and learn more about, about the why, about Absolutely. why. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So speaking of, you know, the, the roots of the war horses uh, there yeah. in Europe, I know you do some, uh, what did you call it? Beating the crap out of each other horseback? Yeah, yeah. everybody did, needs a hobby. Yeah. When, did, when did you get into that? Tell us just a little bit about that, because I know I know you, you, you do a bit of that. So, so tell yeah, us. Yeah, um, I actually started, it actually started way back um, years ago. I was, I don't know how old I was. I was probably 12 or so. Um, and we were at a horse show uh, down Pomona, California area with my mom. And we all went to, um, uh, what's the heck's that name of that place? Um, it's a dinner show where they have jousting and stuff. Um, I, my brain's, I'm, I'm, I've been hitting the head too many times. Um, uh, well, and it's not important. Anyway, I, I was a young kid. Um, we went to this dinner show where these guys, you know, they were, they were jousting and fighting and doing all that. And, you know, as a 12 year old kid, man, that was awesome. And I remember the, the main guy, he's riding this, this Andalusian, I don't know if it was a Andalusian or, or Lusitano, whatever it was, this black horse, um, riding him and this black horse, man, he was fancy. And, and, and the guy, he was spot on and his horsemanship, everything was good. And I thought, man, that's cool. I'd love to do that someday. You know, it, it's funny talking to people like here in Europe, 
um, you know, here they were reading about the Cowboys, you know, how cool those the Cowboys were. Well, I'm like, I don't read about Cowboys. We do that stuff every day. So I was reading about the Knights and, you know, I thought that was cool when I was a kid. Yeah. And then uh, later, oh, I don't know how old I was. I was, I was over 30, um, 30 something. Um, I went to a Renaissance festival. Um, one of those things, um, the lady I was, you know, the girl I was with at the time was like, hey, let's go. Went, yeah, okay, we went. Went and watched the jousting show. And I'm like, yeah, that's freaking cool. Yeah. Um, so um, I went back and talked to the guys. I'm like, hey, that, that's pretty cool. How, you know, and, and I, I was interested. I'm like, so, you know, how did, you know, how did, you know, how do you do that? And at the time, the guy that owned the company, he was looking for people to, to work for him that could ride and that were willing to put on armor and get hit with a big stick. Um, and so I thought, well, sure, why not? Um, prior to that, uh, just kind of backing up a little bit, um, I've been doing martial arts training since I was nine. So I had a really um, solid background in terms of the fighting. Um, did a lot of tournaments. Um, as a kid, that's all I did. I rode horses and I did the martial arts training. That was it. That I didn't, you know, I didn't play basketball. I didn't play football. I, I did one like summer camp playing baseball. I'm like, yeah, that was fun. Now can we get horseback or go hit somebody? So um, <laughs> it, it looked like fun. And so right away they were like, hey, well, you know, you got your boots with you? You want to ride? I'm like, seriously? Yeah. So I got horseback that day and started uh, just to practice hitting the, the shield for practice and stuff. Yep. Went and visited the guy. He didn't live that far away from where I was. He was in Fresno, California. Um, at the time, I was living in Paso Robles. And went visited him, did some training, and, and literally within probably a month's time, I was jousting um, in full armor, breaking lances. And that kind of started that journey. Gotcha. And, and then when I came to Europe, I realized there were people in Europe doing it at a whole new level. Um, they were doing it literally at the, there's some of the people here who are doing it like at the level that they could go back to 1500 and, and be proficient and hold their own. And so I started doing more with them and learned that there was a lot more to it right. than I thought. Um, it wasn't just about running with a lance and bone breaking lances. It, it was a lot of horse, a lot of horsemanship and a lot of very high level horsemanship. Um, I started going to the Royal school um, in Germany, um, which is very, it's much more like um, a lot of the stuff that you would see in Vienna or in Jerez in Spain. It's the same kind of, of riding, that old war riding. Um, I started going there. I started uh, working with other people doing that kind of stuff. And again, it answered a lot of the questions of why. Um, I had been doing, um, you know, you play with the garocha a little bit. I'd been taking, I was, I was taking some garocha lessons in Spain when I started traveling here to Europe. And then also taking lessons on how to fight with a lance at a much higher level. So I'd read about the California Lancers, the, the yeah. guys that would fight in California with a lance and how what amazing horsemen they were and all of that stuff. And I read all this stuff with the history that I'd studied, but I didn't have, I, at the time I thought I understood it. I didn't have a clue. Um, I didn't realize just how good their horsemanship was and how technical their fighting was when they talk about them fighting with a lance. 
I thought you just, you know, you ran at somebody, you stick them with a poke with the pointy end, and that was it. Yeah. It was way more advanced than I had ever imagined. Um, the same thing I grew up seeing the old paintings um, of the old vaqueros, the old Californios with the sword on the side of their saddle. Hearing the stories about the guys dueling on horseback. Um, for the people watching, in the 1800s, when in Texas, you know, and, and those places, Colorado, wherever they were shooting each other if they got in a fight, in California, guys were still actively sword fighting on horseback to settle duels um, clear into the late 1800s. I didn't realize the level of horsemanship that was required to do that. Um, yeah. So that was a real education for me, which was actually really cool having the opportunity to work with some of the best people in the world wow. um, who still recreate that old horsemanship and then getting to fight against them yeah. and getting to learn, okay, this is why we do it this way. Cause if you don't, <laughs> it hurts a lot. <laughs> a little bit of motivation for you. Yeah. But that's kind of my hobby. I mean, that's kind of, you know, like I said, everybody has to have a hobby. I, I've done that since I've been coming here for fun. So in between clinics, when I was traveling here, I would come from the States and I would be in Europe for like three months. Um, and I would just stay in Europe for three months. Well, in between clinics, I would go to these places and, and train and practice and play and have fun. And, and it was just amazing opportunity for me. Yeah, that is so cool, man. That is quite a quite a journey from when you first saw it at 12, huh? Yeah, it is. Yeah. And it's, it's quite a journey from um, going to PRCA rodeos and throwing a rope on a steer and turning left, Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, to actively fighting in armor, in full armor on horseback at, in, in England at the Royal Armories at one of the biggest tournaments in the world. I mean, it, it quite a journey, but it's, you know, right place, right time. Yeah. Um, God opens the right doors and you, you just, you know, when that door opens, you don't hesitate. You just run through it yeah. and see what's on the other side. So I've been really, really fortunate to, to have that, those opportunities for sure. For yeah. sure. So now you're based in the Czech Republic, I believe. How long have you yeah. been there? I think you've got a wife and a couple of young kids, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I've been here for about five, six, about six years. Um, we're kind of when I say based here, we're based here now. Um, up until a couple of years ago, we were still kind of transient. We were, right. um, we were a bit nomadic. Um, so we would go and live in Spain in the wintertime for four or five months. Um, we'd be here in Czech for a few months. We'd go to the U.S. for a few months. So we were traveling around quite a bit. Um, I, I've been coming, like I said, to the Czech Republic uh, from the very first clinic I did here in Europe. And I really fell in love with the country my first time here. Um, I really did. Um, it's the people, the country, every, I really fell in love with it. And then some years later, met a girl. And, you know, that's, and that's what brought me here. So um, we've decided for the, for the time being to home base here um, because my, my son, um, he is five and started school. Um, my little girl's three. So we kind of had to decide where we were going to home base. Sure. And even though most of my business, like internet stuff, book sales, all of that, over 75% of that is actually in the U.S. Um, we decided to home base here because with my traveling, I don't have to travel as much. So perfect example, I was teaching a clinic this last weekend. I ate lunch at home on uh, Thursday 
drove to the clinic. I taught Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I drove home Sunday night, Monday morning, I was here with my kids. So um, if I was in the US, I would, have to, I would have to fly a lot more. So the travel time would be extended a bunch. So Monday would be a, a full travel day. Thursday would be a full travel day on a three-day clinic. Yeah. It's really easy with, a, in 30 clinics, you lose an entire month at home. Being based where we are now, we're very centrally located. Um, the Czech Republic, a lot of people think of it as Eastern Europe. It's actually Central Europe. Um, for me to drive, whether I'm driving to Switzerland, to the Netherlands, to Germany, um, to Austria, to Denmark, to wherever it is, all of those are within an eight-hour drive for me, right. for my clinics. Um, I drove to one of the clinics in Italy. That was an 11-hour drive. Um, but most of it is within eight hours. Yeah. So I don't have to fly nearly as much. There's a few. Um, two weeks ago, I had to fly when I went to Finland. I've got to fly in a few weeks to Sweden. Um, but for the most part, I drive. And most of the time, the vast majority of the clinics, I'm home Thursday morning for breakfast with my family. And I get home on Sunday night. Now, it might be late, but at least I'm there for breakfast on Monday morning. So um, we were looking at home basing in Spain because I love Spain. Yeah, I really, absolutely. I, I love Spain, um, but I would have the same problem. I'd have to fly a lot more. So we home base here for now because of the travel. Yeah. Um, we are shifting a lot more this winter, a lot more of our business to internet stuff and going to be providing a lot more internet stuff right now. We've not done very much internet stuff. It's been, we haven't focused on it very much. It's just been a little bit of a side thing and, haven't really dedicated the amount of time we should be dedicating to it. And this winter, we're going to be doing that. At that point, it frees us up to where if I don't have to travel as much, you know, we could be anywhere, but we're happy where we are. Um, and I love the country and the culture and the people here. Um, I, it's, it's easy for me to travel. Um, I can do all of the things I like to do. So it's, yeah. it's actually pretty nice. And the, the schools are, you know, the schools are good. The education here is, is excellent. Healthcare is excellent, all that stuff. So yeah. we're actually looking for a property right now. Um, we haven't found the right one yet, but we are shopping to buy a place here now. So we've made the oh. final decision. And yeah. yeah, so we'll be here for a while. Yeah. And I can, I can, of course, totally relate with that, uh, that whole idea of travel and trying to spend yeah. time with family and being there yeah. as, as a, as a husband and, and father, because I've got four young kids and, and yeah. it's, it's the same story, you know, just trying to manage all of that. So yeah. um, now yeah. let's, let's, I, I'd like, like to hear about how your, your young stallion is going. I haven't had, had ah, a chance to catch yeah. up on that for a while. Okay, so there's a little bit of catch up. One, he's not a stallion anymore. Um, <laughs> yep, um, for a couple reasons, but not related to his personality in any way. Um, we, part of the business plan uh, a, a couple of years ago, a COVID is the reason he's actually a good <laughs> Believe it or not. So the original plan for breeding, and I went through all of the testing that he needed um, for uh, approval for breeding through, through the Spanish government. Um, there's a bunch of things you need. You need to x-rays to make sure that everything is steady. Um, we also wanted to test to make sure, collect him to make sure that we could freeze and ship uh, semen for breeding, all of that stuff. We did all that. Everything was ready. 
The last part was to do the actual grading test with the Spanish government. Um, so that we would be completely, you know, approved by, you know, by the government, do all that. And then we would collect and we would be, um, everything would go out of a stallion station in Spain. That was supposed to happen the winter of COVID. That was supposed to happen 2020 and then COVID hit and Spain got closed and canceled and they weren't doing any more grading because nobody was leaving Spain to go and do any grading. And, and, and it just, it became a complete train wreck at that point. Um, and we were looking at it and thinking realistically, when are we going to be able to actually breed? Um, it's gonna be one, two years, two years maybe minimum. Um, we knew that there was a possibility that we would lose the pasture that we were in because the guy that owned it was looking at selling it. So then you have the headache of, of you know, since we don't have our own place, you know, we're still shopping, where do we put the stallion, all of that stuff. Um, in, in Spain, it's no problem. Um, most places in the world, you know, finding a place to keep a stallion, if it's not at your, at your, own, at your own place, can be a little difficult. And we just made the decision, you know, um, if, and I've told people for years, if I'm not breeding and it's not for, um, if it's not for business, I'm not going to own a stallion because stallions are a pain in the butt. I mean, just bottom line, it's not, it's not worth it to me to have the stallion if it's not specifically for business. Um, so I, I kind of, it was one of those where I put my money where my mouth was and we castrated him and I haven't regretted the decision one bit. Yeah. Um, because it, it did end up that we didn't go to Spain 2021 either. And right now, I still don't know if we're going to be able to go back this next spring. We want to go back this next spring, do a clinic, and do the is We still don't know if that's going to happen. There's still a lot of question marks now because of all of the, you guys, everybody knows, you know, with all of the variants and all this stuff. Um, so that was, that was one thing. So now he's gilding, which worked out great. We did lose our pasture. Now he's in, we have an even better place now that we're keeping him, which is awesome. Um, more room, uh, the setup's pretty good. The other place was great. It's just, they've got more room and stuff where they're at now. Um, and now turns out he has turned out with our other gilding, which he was before, and a mare, which the way it worked out, that's how it needed to be. So that worked out good. Um, and then the other is that he's not my horse anymore. He's technically my wife's horse now. So um, he is one of those horses that needs to be ridden about 10 days a week. Um, yeah. <laughs> and for me with my travel schedule, I just don't have the time. Um, we knew, I mean, he's a very high energy horse. I mean, he's bred to work on the Spanish ranches with the Spanish fighting bulls. That's what he's bred for. Um, so he's, I mean, he's a high energy horse. He's a, he's a bit of a fire breathing dragon. We knew it when we bought him and that's what we wanted, yep. but things have changed in terms of my ability to have the time to ride it. Um, last winter I had, I, I had some health stuff with my back. Um, that was a big problem. Um, I was having some back problems, so I had to limit how much I could ride that's doing a lot better now, which is good. And good. we were able to kind of get things fixed without surgery, which was good. Um, uh, and I, I really kind of got over the edge of some of the problems when I was in the U S actually just a couple months ago, um, 
there's an amazing chiropractor in Reno, Nevada, that was able to really kind of get me that next step to recovering with my back. I just can't, I I can't, I can't ride him 10 days a week. Um, And my wife can't. And the other thing is that she is at a point in her horsemanship. um, She's a very good rider. She's a very, a very good advanced rider. She's got a nice horse. He's a a really cool, big uh, check one blood. He does some cool stuff. Um, but she was at a point where it was time for her to upgrade a little bit. Yeah. Um, her horse does everything. You know, he, he, I rope on him a bunch. I branded him on him a bunch. We roped and doctored big, big mother cows and, you know, all that. Um, he does all the high level, you know, pee off, Spanish walk, canter pirouettes, um, terra terra, which is uh, cantering in place on the spot. So he'll do about five strides without moving anywhere. Just one, two, three, four, five. And, you know, all of that, uh, you know, you have lead changes, one, two change, one, two change, no problem. But he doesn't have the athleticism to really have take her to the next level that she, she wants to get to. So all of that kind of combined to he's her horse now. Um, and he's doing great. He's doing really good. Um, She's take, she rides him outside a lot. Um, he still doesn't like arenas, but he spent the first four years of his life wild in the mountains of Spain. So of course he's not going to, you know, he's going to work better outside than inside. Um, but he's, he's really good. Um, he is one of those horses though. Like we were in the U S for a couple months, you know, right away when you come back, it's going to take two to three weeks to get him back to where he was when you left. But that's just him. That's just yep. his personality. Yep. Um, so he's working really good. Um, right now I'm riding him sometimes and I'll get on him and kind of, kind of play with him a little bit sometimes. Um, but right now I've been putting a lot of focus into business stuff and just, and work and just haven't had the time to school on him, but what my wife's been doing with him, he's been doing super good. So yeah, he's, he's doing a lot of the stuff that we want to do with him with, you know, he's doing half pass and he's doing some pirouettes and, um, he's doing some of that stuff, but for him, it's more mental. So this is where with the different horses, some horses it's developing and physically for him, it's a mental game. He does amazing work and he does amazing stuff, but it, it's, it's getting him clear, clear minded yeah. and getting him to work clear minded. That's the trick. And that's what the big focus with him. Yeah. That's so funny. yeah, that's the, that's the story with him. So yeah. Yeah. Very cool. yeah so, um, we may end up getting another one after we buy, after we buy a place, we'll see. We may end up getting another horse because I would, I would like to have another one, but at the moment we've got the two and I've got everything I need. Yeah. You know, if somebody says, Hey, we need to go, we need to go doctor these big cows. Cool. I got the big gray horse. Um, you know, if I want to, if I want to play and have fun and do some cool stuff, then I get on the black horse. So um, yeah, that's kind of where it's at with them. Yeah. Well, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now Jeff, um, would there be a story or, or a horse that really stands out in your mind that helped you learn a, a specific lesson some, at some point in your journey? Would there be a horse that you'd say you just, you'd never forget? Oh, man, that's a good, there's been a few. There's actually been a few. And man, I've, le- I've learned something from every horse I've ever had. I mean, that's growing up. That was one of the things that it was always hammered into my head that your horsemanship, every horse should be better than the one before because you should be better than what you were before. Um, and no bridle horse is ever finished because 
I mean, they're not dead yet. Yeah. They're not finished. Um, and, you know, same thing with people. Anybody says, yeah, I think I've learned everything there is learning horsemanship. Really? You know, it's, I would say there's a lot of them that, that for different reasons really stand out. Um, one of them is that first rotten pony I told you about. That, that first rotten pony that we took to the sales yard. That was an important lesson. And that lesson was, hey, you know what? If, if, if it ain't a love connection and that, thing, that horse and you are, are so far apart that you're going to get hurt, maybe it's better. Maybe somebody else is going is, to, it, it's going to be a better relationship with somebody else, just like human relationships. Some work, some don't. So that was an important lesson for me that, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, my, my skill set as a five-year-old kid was not developed enough for me to be able to ride that, that pony. Now I worked with a guy over in Amish country over in the Midwest. I did a clinic and he actually hired, he had a, a guy who was a midget. He was an Amish midget that it's not a joke either. Um, it's not the start of a bad joke. Um, he was an Amish midget that the guy hired to school the ponies because he had the strength of a full grown man, but it was the size of, of a midget. Yeah. And that's what that pony needed. Yeah. That guy was an, that, that Amish midget that rode with me in that clinic was an amazing horseman. Yeah. He could have gotten on that horse and just, so that was an important lesson for me with that one. Um, I had another horse that um, my dad had, that my dad had been, been riding and his plan was to, to show this horse and he's, he's a good horse. Um, my dad called me one day, middle of the afternoon. He said, come get this horse. I said, what? He said, I'm going to kill him or he's going to come kill me. Or he's going to kill me. So come get him. Uh, okay. Then every time I saw my dad ride that horse, it was just, again, they just didn't get along. That was one of the best horses I ever competed on. Um, he ended up being my primary, even though he was started as a, as a bridal horse and was great because I, I'd take him to brandings and, you know, I didn't, you know, he, he wasn't just a competition horse. Um, he ended up being my top, my top PRCA head horse. Um, that was an important lesson. Again, that just because it, it didn't work for somebody else doesn't mean that it's not going to work for me and the other way around. My dad's a phenomenal horseman. I mean, he's won the world in more things than I have for sure. Um, and that sometimes personalities just don't match. So that was an important lesson. Um, there was there were other horses, Bunny, the, the dun mare that I had. At the same time, I had her, her sister. Um, and by sister, I mean that the two mares that those two, two sisters were out of were, were both related. They were sisters. And both mares were by the same stallion. They both had completely different personalities. Their breeding was as close as you could get of two horses that were same age. They were both born within a, two weeks of each other. They were both raised by my dad in the same environment and they were as opposite as night and day in their personalities. So those two horses were a really important lesson for me too. Um, and Bunny was an amazing horse. She was, she was amazing. I look back at her now though. And I go, yeah, I could have done so much better than I did. Yeah. She won the world and, and the stuff and whatever, but I could have done so much better. Um, there was another one that um, he was an Azteca stallion that I, that I owned. And he was another one that stands out because he was so different in his personality. And, and my, my, my Spanish horse that I have now is a little bit like this. 
Um, that Azteca horse, um, on the ground, he was really pushy, aggressive. Um, you had to really, I mean, you you had to really just draw the line and, and be very, very clear. And, and I mean, you had to make sure that he didn't take over even for a single half a second. But then when you got on him, he was actually kind of a scared, nervous kind of horse. So it was like this split personality thing. And I had to ride him completely different. Um, growing up, my dad made his reputation with very difficult stallions. I mean, very difficult, aggressive, almost well, one dangerous um, that he won a lot on. Um, and then my mom, on the other hand, my mom has always just had this very quiet, very calm, relaxed kind of, of, of way of, of riding riding and working with horses. And so with those really aggressive stallions, I watched my dad where he had to be really hard and really like, if he wasn't, that stallion's gonna kill you. And then I watched my mom with the completely opposite approach where it was just really quiet. With that one horse, I had to do both. On the ground, I had to work with him like, like my dad. Under saddle, I had to work with him like my mom. I had to really split that. Yeah. And if I didn't, it was gonna be a train wreck. So that was another one that, that really stood out. Um, but I've, I've had the opportunity to ride so many good horses and learn so many lessons from so many horses that I can't even pick one. I mean, I really, yeah. I really can't, yeah. you know, it's, um, it, it's, you know, the horse that I won, I won the, the, I led the world in the paint horse world in the rain working cow horse as a teenager in the four, in the, the 14 through 18, um, the horse that I rode, that was also an important lesson because my dad had, had, had won the world on that same horse the year before. But the lesson for me on that one is I'm not impressed with what somebody does with one horse because it, they may not have made that horse. Um, I didn't win the world as a teenager. The horse did. I was just a monkey on the border collie. You know, um, it, it's that, that lesson was, you know, I look back at that now, the, the buckle from that is in a paper bag in my storage. Why? Because I didn't really win it. The horse yeah. did. I just stayed out of his way. I didn't yeah. make the horse. I didn't win it. I stayed out of his way. Um, so that was an important lesson too, that, you know, it's, it, I'm impressed when people take multiple horses and accomplish great things. I'm impressed when people take horses that aren't built to do a specific kind of thing and they still can do it well. So, you know, the, yeah, yeah. But I've had the opportunity to ride so many amazing horses that, I can't, there's no way I can choose one or, or one incident. Every horse has taught me something different. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think that's so true. And it's good, good for people to hear that and hear it a lot. I think that you can learn something from any horse and yeah. can, we need to learn something from every horse we work with. And, uh, and each one of those lessons that you picked up and pointed out there is, I think, I think people need to hear those things because some people kick themselves because they're not getting along with their horse or, you know, yeah. there's always the question of, can I upskill fast enough to be of service to this horse or to stay safe, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and there's all yeah. those questions that go through people's minds. So one yeah. more question for you, Jeff. And, and, yeah. um, and this is one that I always try to ask everybody on, on the podcast. And that is what, what would you like your legacy to be? What are you working on? What's the big picture? Oh, that is a good question. I think if, if I were to say anything, it would be 
it would be don't sacrifice the horse for any reason. Uh, it, it, that's it. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Don't let the horse suffer because of, of our goals, our ego, our whatever it is. Um, don't let the horse suffer because of some accomplishment that we want to place on them. Um, take the time that the horse needs. Um, you know, horses don't, horses don't have watches. Horses don't read rule books. Um, we can do amazing things together with the, with the horses. Um, if we have the right horse and the right rider combination, if we do, if it is that love connection kind of thing, um, but there's no reason to sacrifice the horse. And, and in this day and age, I see that way too much. Um, I see it way too much in the sport world and in all the sports. It doesn't matter if we're watching Olympic dressage, if we're watching the snap a bit for charity, if we're watching a Western pleasure class, <laughs> even just saying that was hard. <laughs> um, it, we see, we see the horse being sacrificed for the glory of the rider. And I, I don't think that's ever acceptable. Um, I, I just, I don't. And I used to be one of those people uh, I, where the, the, the glory was more important than the horse. And I'm, I'm really glad that I, I don't have to look back with a lot of regret because I never did anything that would, that physically damaged my horses. Um, but part of that, I credit to growing up with the kind of horsemanship I did. Um, it was good, sound, biomechanically correct horsemanship. Therefore, I didn't tear my horses up riding, even though I could have done better. Right. Um, and, and again, it, it's, it goes back to asking why. Um, you know, why am I doing something the way I do? Horsemanship is so much more than just getting on a horse. Um, understanding biomechanics, understanding how that particular horse thinks, um, understanding even how our feed program affects that horse and how it's going to work and how it's going to perform and how it's going to act, um, all of those things. So it's studying the old masters, um, those old masters, they rode more hours than any of us ever will. You know, when they went to church on Sunday, they didn't get in the truck to go, they got horseback. When they went to the market, they didn't get in the truck to go. They either got horseback or they harnessed something up and they, they were, you know, it. so following, following in the footsteps of people who, who made the mistakes, the old vaquero saying that it takes five lifetimes to become a good horseman. Um, well, I, I don't know that I'm gonna get that many lifetimes, but if I study, you know, study what the people before me did, I can kind of hopefully catch up as yeah. best I can. Yeah. And the big thing is just manana, take your time. Um, don't get pressured into whatever it is. Um, yeah. And I see it a lot, I see it a lot. Uh, just kind of side note, um, a little story that was teaching a clinic in Nevada uh, a few weeks ago, some folks that uh, run a cattle ranch there and, and um, husband and wife, and, and the wife wanted to, to show a little bit. She wanted to do, she wanted to go play with some dressage stuff. Cool, you know, just for fun. Um, and she was asking about um, her horse's mouth conformation was one of those horses that should never be ridden in a snaffle bit. Um, the way the horse's mouth was built, there's no way a snaffle bit, a two or a three piece snaffle could ever function in that horse's mouth without creating pain and discomfort. It just wouldn't. Um, that's a whole other podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> but she said, well, what should I do? Um, because I have to show in a, in, in a snaffle bit. And I said, well, why? 
She said, well, le these levels, you have to show us an alphabet. Now she's riding her horse in the two-rein. So what that means is the horse has gone all the way through the hackamore stage. She's riding in the bridle with the yeah. bozelle and she's in the stage where she's transitioning up to getting that horse to working just with the bridle. Yeah. I said, just wait. She said, well, what do you mean? I said, what are the levels you're allowed to show in the bridle? And she said, well, you know, she went through the, the stuff. I said, just wait. Show in those levels when your horse is ready. Don't put your horse in something that is not good for your horse to be ridden in. That's Don't right. sacrifice your horse to go play a sport. Wait another year until your horse is straight up in the bridle. And then get a legal bridle made with the mouthpiece that your horse is working in now. And go show and go have fun. And she said, I never thought about that. And I said, why start at the low level when your horse is already far more educated than that anyway? Yeah. Why swim at the bottom of the fish tank when you can wait a year and swim at the top of the fish tank? The water is a lot better up there at the top than it is at the bottom. Okay? <laughs> um, so again, it goes back to take your time and don't sacrifice the horse. Don't put something in the horse's mouth that the horse is not going to work well in and that it's going to create pain. Yeah. Um, so don't sacrifice the horse to go play a game. Yeah. So I, I'd say that'd be about it. That'd be about it. Yeah. Um, but the most important thing for me with all of that, the real legacy for me is, is not even horse related at all. Um, it's, it's my two kids. So that's where, you know, I know some people in, in the not too distant future are maybe going to get a little upset because I'm cutting back on my travel and because I'm not going to be doing as many clinics and I'm going to have to say no a lot yeah. more. Um, but that's because the true legacy, um, what's really important to me. Yeah. The horsemanship is important. All of that is absolutely, um, important, but it's my kids, it's my family, it's my wife and having that time for them. Um, so that's really, for me, that's, that, that's more important. Um, that's the most important thing for me is my, is my family. So the horsemanship was a major, big, the focus of my life for a long time. I waited for a long time to have kids, um, a lot longer than most people. Um, so now, you know, I'm able to kind of split that focus a little bit, which is good. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's awesome. I mean, the the really standing in the gap for the horse and, and what you said in, you know, not putting anything ahead of, of where that horse is, where he needs to be, what he needs to understand, and, and obviously not, yeah. not causing yeah. pain or, or discomfort in what you're doing is yep. it, it applies across the board doesn't it? i mean that's a yeah. huge subject that's just Absolutely. just applicable to anybody anywhere anytime any discipline any breed and then of course your kids and and that aspect that's that's eternal legacy right there that's yeah. um yeah. that's the big that's the real big deal and there's yeah. only there's only so much time and and yeah. i don't know about yeah. you but um when they're little it seems like the days are long but the years are short yeah exactly exactly and that's something I will say that that COVID is, has kind of shown me that I can stay home a little more and still keep my bills paid. Yeah, we didn't buy the new horse trailer this year, but you know what? I don't care. Yep. I got to spend more time with my family. Um, and I think COVID, the whole COVID thing is changing the is going to change the industry, the whole horse industry, the whole horse business. Um, I think people are are realizing that they can get a lot of good information online, <laughs> get a lot of bad information online too, but, um, and a lot more people like what you're doing right here with this podcast, a lot more people have now said, Hey, you know, let's provide this information online. 
Um, so people can find what they want instead of just settling for what may happen to be around them. Um, and this is, I, I, I know this is maybe going long, but I'm just another quick short story. Um, another one of the clinics was in California and um, lady had said she'd been uh, taking her horse to a cutting horse trainer, which is fine, but she doesn't show cutting horses. And she's, I said, well, how come you're going to that trainer? She said, well, he's really the only one that's any good around, around me. And so we're talking about it. And um, one of the guys there that was at that clinic also runs a ranch and, and he had one of his, his cow dogs with him. And we were, it was a cow clinic and he was using the cow dog to, you know, to move some of the cows around a little bit. And so I asked her, I said, do you think it'd be a good idea to take a cow dog to a, a hunting dog, like a bird dog trainer for training to be a cow dog? She says, well, no. And then you saw the light go on and she went, because she's been taking the horse to a cutting horse trainer, but that's not what she does. And she did it because he was the only thing available. He was the only one around that was quote, any good. Um, And what people are finding now is there's a lot more information online, um, like what you're doing. Um, This winter, I'm starting a new deal where I'm going to be doing online lessons where people do a short video, whatever they want to work on, they send it. Yep. To me, I watch it and I voice over and I send it back. Um, I know a number of people who are doing live lessons via the internet where somebody's got, they've, they've got their, their ear pod things in and somebody is watching them ride and then talking to them online as if they were there. So there's a lot of this that's going on um, and I think it's good. Um, the industry's changing, um, but I think in a way it's good because people are able to find what they're looking for and they don't have to sacrifice their horsemanship um, to please a trainer. And that's something you should never do either. Never sacrifice what you know is right for your horse just because somebody said to do it. Um, you know, just because somebody who's supposed to be an expert said you should do that. Um, it, it's not a good plan. So again, it goes back to putting the horse first. Exactly. Always put the horse first. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, it's, it is exciting times with how things seem to seem to be changing. And, and like you say, I mean, there's all kinds of information out there. But I think as people are able to be more discerning about what they're needing and what they're looking for, you know, um, it, it is very cool to uh, to be part of that in, in getting some of that stuff yeah. out there. That's that's going to be awesome. Now, Jeff, um, just let everybody know where they can find out more about you, maybe your social media handles, okay. and your website yeah. and and uh, um, I'm on Facebook um, on my normal just Jeff Sanders thing. I maxed out because on the, the number of people who I can have on that page. Um, but then I've got the business page, which is Jeff Sanders. What is it? Jeff Sanders Vaquero Horsemanship or something or Jeff Sanders California Vaquero Horsemanship just to make it as long as possible. Um, so I'm on there and I'm, I'm just so people know if you send me a message don't hesitate to send me more than one. Um, if I don't reply, I, I'm not trying to ignore you. I'm just really bad about replying. A lot of times I reply in my head and it doesn't actually make it to the keyboard. Um, and because I travel a lot, sometimes I've got connection and sometimes I don't. Um, the website is californiabridalhorse.com, which is woefully um, unupdated. Um, but again, <laughs> This winter, that's our main focus this winter. This fall, I'm going like crazy doing, doing clinics. 
So I don't know how much time we'll have to update that, but those are the, the two main ones. Um, so that, yeah, um, those awesome. are the two primary ones. Yeah. Awesome. And then and, you've got uh, your books as well. Yeah. Um, I've got the Hackamore book, which is out. We're actually going to be doing um, the second edition very soon because the first edition is almost sold out. Like, I think there's only something like 30 left. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think there's 30 of them left, something like that. So the second edition is coming out pretty quick. Um, just before we left to the U.S., we shot a video of the entire Hackamore book and put it on video. Um, we haven't started editing yet. We did this with an actual professional um, video, video videographer. Um, and I just talked to him yesterday. I'm supposed to meet with him next week to kind of develop a timeline of, of doing the editing. Um, so the book, the book is available um, on uh, californiogear.com is uh this that's my mom's store in the u.s and california vaquero store is my wife's store in europe so my wife and my mom work together um and uh with the business and there it's book the book and gear so the um hackamores makates uh reins bridles the whole deal um and all of the all of the rawhide gear they sell and all of the horsehair gear they sell is all made in California. Um, so um, it's pretty good quality stuff. Awesome. Um, but that's also where the book is available. Yeah. Um, the videos will be available on the website when that when we have that, that editing done. Um, on the website, there's a members page on our, our CaliforniaBridalHorse.com. Um, and that members page has a whole bunch of, there's a bunch of videos and stuff on there also. Um, and a bunch of like old stuff that I wrote years ago. I probably should go back and read it. I probably don't agree with half of it anymore. Um, <laughs> but there's a whole bunch of stuff on there as well. And then, like I said, we'll be uh, announcing on Facebook and other places um, where people can uh, get the new book, which is all on bridles, bits, uh, the two rain. So all kind of not just the California two rein and bridle, but also a big part of that book is about the mouth, mouth confirmation. Um, I did a big study of mouths related to the snaffle bit. Uh, so two and three piece snaffle specifically. We studied over 200 horses. Uh, the results were pretty interesting. Um, and it was based on just confirmation. What percentage of horses cannot actually go in one of those bits without hitting the roof of the mouth or hitting the, the, the teeth or, you know, that kind of thing that would create yeah. pain and discomfort. Yeah. Um, so that's all in the new book. And that book will be, again, we meet with the printer next week and we'll see what his schedule is, but we plan on having it available before for Christmas sales, like before November, October, November kind of, kind of timeframe. Um, and then we've got a few other projects that we're looking forward to that we're going to be working on um, this winter. So like I said, we're going to do a lot more stuff on the internet and updating that stuff. We'll be getting a lot more on the members page. Um, and that will actually be starting now. Um, I'm going to start doing um, like clinic updates. So posting on the members page. Some of the stuff we take away in the clinics. There may be some video for me riding some student horses at the clinics and that kind of stuff will be 
go on, on that members page. And the other is um, we do have an email list. The best way to actually get on the email list is there is a free video on the webpage, on the website and on the Facebook business page. Um, and that, that uh, free video is about posture. Um, and there's a vid there, I think on the picture it shows me sitting on a saddle on a hay, hay bale. Um, if you watch the video and you put in, it'll ask for your email and you put that in, that's a super easy way to uh, get on the email list, which we haven't been using very much in the past, but we will be now. Um, plus the video, um, it, it talks a lot about posture and how the, your posture affects your horse. So um, it's one of those that might be interesting for a lot of people watching. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, that is awesome, Jeff. Um, thank you again, too, for making the time to visit with me today. I just really appreciate no it. I know you're a busy guy. You got some exciting stuff, a lot of irons in the fire there. Yeah. And uh, we definitely will have to catch up again uh, yeah. about, and we'll talk history. We'll talk the, the bridal horse tradition yeah. and, and dig, dig a little deeper into that. That would be an yeah. awesome podcast to, to, yeah. to have. Yeah, we could also do something on the bits, the mouths and all that. And yeah, so, yep, got a few few things we can do if anybody wants to hear, hear me rambling on again. So, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you very much, cool. sir. Well, that's all from us today. Thank you for listening to American Cowboy in New Zealand. If you like this episode, please share and leave your five-star rating or review. Remember, you can find us on social media or our website, truewesthorsemanship.com.